1: With your host, Matt Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 136 of Let's Get Haunted. It's been a minute. We just had mm-hmm. our listener stories episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if you're new to the show, you should know that the first sentence of the description for this episode, which you can see if you are on Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is expand show notes or expand description. And the first sentence will tell you where to skip to because for the first 10 to 30-ish minutes of every podcast, Nat and I are just catching up with each other Uh, taking care of some housekeeping, talking about announcements, anything upcoming with our podcast. And so if you're not into that, that's totally fine. You can skip ahead. I cannot tell you verbally what that timestamp will be because we won't know until the episode is actually edited down. So just check out the first sentence of the show notes right now. How are you today, Natalia?
2: Well, I feel like that is a loaded question. So I am going to redirect the conversation to what I would like to talk about, which is that I am speaking in a low voice, because my Baby just went down for a nap, so I hope you guys find this soothing that I'm speaking in a low voice, and you might notice that Allie is speaking in a low voice too. She has a look of, I, I wish there was a better translation, not fear. But it's a type of fear. Oh, no, it's fear. She just texted me, I fear for my life. So I'm watching her on Zoom. (laughs) She's in our Los Angeles studio, and it's tax season right now. Now, if you guys don't recall, we are in an office with accountants who are cool as shit, except during tax season. I feel like they have the potential to be school shooters during this season. As I've said before, that is just me calling it how I see it and just calling it like it is. Yeah. And so Allie is going to be speaking very low as well. And if you guys hear like random banging and muffled anger, it's coming from the accountant office that we share a wall with. And Allie is now informing me that... (laughs) you guys she's like texting me in the in the zoom chat because she can't speak out loud because the walls are so thin in the la office that they'll be able to hear everything she's saying so here's what she's saying she goes hey guys it's nat this intro we recorded is over an hour long and it was extremely spicy too spicy for the public. If you would like to hear that and Allie go on an unhinged, spiraling rant that was at times uncomfortable for even me and Allie to hear, even though we were the ones who were saying the shit that we were saying, you can open up the show notes and go to our Patreon. We are going to be offering some longer intros with cut material that was too spicy for the public. So if you want to hear the redacted parts of this intro, you can become a patron of ours by opening up the show notes and clicking our Patreon link. Bye. What's up? You know what? I had a really great night last night. For the first time since I've been in Atlanta, I went out with people that are now my friends I think
1: yes that's why I'm asking because you texted me and it was like midnight my time yeah you texted me at like midnight my time which would have been what 3 a.m. your time so I was thinking like okay she must be having a good night I was either you're having a good night or Enzo is like sick or something and you're not having a good night
2: or I was working at my bullshit bottle service job that's true you
1: guys come
2: by a table from me on nights that I'm working if you live in Atlanta it's not hard to figure out where I work
1: yeah Yeah. And you know what? Tip her. Do something. Look, this is going to not be good for (laughs) Natalia, but it would make me happy. Instead of tipping her in money, can you please get cursed objects and blessed objects and, you know, uh, a hidden key, like a skeleton key from an antique Victorian mansion that used to be in the gnarled fingers of the caretaker okay i'm intrigued i would like that i would like haunted gifts to be given to natalia in lieu of cash no (laughs) it's
2: like the worst thing ever no here's what i feel like if you really want to leave a mark fat stack of cash and then a old piece of twine tied around it with a like very special knot that you had to like research in order to do and within the knot there is an old skeleton key and under the key there is a beautifully written love note it doesn't have to be to me it could be to two deceased livers to two deceased lovers
1: (laughs) well in the club it would be a deceased liver so i think that that freudian slip was actually correct right yes
2: Yes, while I am dancing around with sparklers to present you with your bottle, instead of thinking this girl is 10 years older than the other girls and she has a baby, (laughs) you will be thinking, I hope she really enjoys this creative note that I put together for her.
1: You know what? Bonus points if you cut out words from a magazine or newspaper and paste them. To a note mm-hmm. and then throw it at her and run away. Uh, not to change the subject because I would like to talk about this more. But um, speaking of your low voice, we got a compliment on the Instagram a couple of weeks ago that I don't know if you saw or not, where someone said that your low voice that you do at the beginning of the episodes, like at the beginning of the intro to the story you're telling, gives them ASMR vibes. And that you should start doing ASMR on the Let's Get Haunted TikTok.
2: Shut the fuck up. Are you just saying that because you want me to make content? No,
1: somebody really left a comment that said that. I don't know how
2: to react because there's a part of me that's very excited because I do want to be a star. I would love to be a celebrity. I want people to know my face, (laughs) to know my voice, and I want to share my talents with the people. But there's another part of me that's like, will I become too famous? Like will I become obsessed Uh, with the fame? Will it crush me?
1: Yeah, like right now we have a comfortable level of barely relevance Mm -hmm. you know what I mean but it's comfortable right Right. like nobody's necessarily gonna recognize you out on the town right but Kesha knows someone who knows someone that has come across our podcast before
2: yes Mm -hmm. we are like the dirty side chick whom a famous man cheats on his supermodel wife with that is like someone listening to our podcast in the dark alone right not going to tell their friends at work about it unless they detect that their friends at work are also dirty side chick trash people
1: (laughs) yes you know what in fact I think what you have just described is that we are like the contestants from Rock of Love which aired (laughs) circa 2010 (laughs) they just put it back on either Hulu or Netflix I don't remember where I was watching it and I was really enjoying myself really being dragged back down to a time where it was just openly accepted to just call people ugly all the time Mm -hmm. and I was like horrified and then I was like oh my god I remember I lived through that era but my point is I think that we are the equivalent of the cast members of Rock of Love that like (laughs) got out on the first or second round
2: Yes. And in some ways, it was a blessing, if you ask me.
1: I would like to tell our haunties that we appreciate them every day of the week. For this episode, that would be Nicole S., who gave a very generous donation this month, Rachel V., who also gave a generous donation, and Corey T., who really just shot it out of the park with a generous donation. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, guys. And (laughs) I would like to thank Camry G again, Sarah W, Megan C, Alyssa S. Thank you. Olivia M, U2 Queen, and Gentry B again. Also, Lisa B, can't forget her. Thank you, love you, and Jim H, who donated a very generous amount. Thank you so much, Jim. Uh, <laughs> really love that. Are you Jim Hansen? Have I asked this before? I wonder this every time I see your name. And if you haven't gotten into making puppets, is it something that interests you? If you donate ever again, please comment <laughs> the answer to this
1: question. Please make puppets of us. And make a video of yourself like, oh, my God, this is serious. This is a serious request. If somebody fucking makes puppets of us and then films themselves for two hours just going like this over our audio, like the Nat puppets talking and then the Alley puppets talking and it's just our audio, I would really that would bring me a lot of joy.
2: Yeah, I love that. This is a public service announcement, Manscaped now has beard products and a brand new nose and ear hair trimmer. If you haven't already heard, the leaders in Below the Waist Grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Plus, they've now launched the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0, which confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your toolbox by going to manscaped.com and using our code Let's Get haunted for 20% off plus free shipping. I recently used the Beard Hedger Pro Kit to shave off my fiance's beard that he had been growing for a really long time when he went to Poland and, and did some cold plunging in an ice river. He had a lot of attachment to that beard because... He had had so many memories with it, so shaping it into a new mustache was a very emotional experience for us both, and I feel like he came out looking like a new man, and who doesn't want a new man sometimes? Honestly, Manscaped products have brought me and my man closer together because I want to shave that thing on his face. It's like making a snowman, but on someone's face. And if I had a beard, I would constantly be trimming it into cool shapes and designs. I would make it into a seahorse just because I could. I highly recommend Manscaped products for confidence and for creativity. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit is an entire kit that comes with everything you need to craft your signature look. It all starts with the Beard Hedger, which is an elite beard trimmer. The beard hedger is super tough on hair, but smooth on your face, which leads to single stroke efficiency, bringing satisfaction one stroke at a time. This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons, no more extra clutter. The pro kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for post trim care including Manscapes Beard Shampoo and Conditioner, Beard Oil, and Beard Balm, products that moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three free gifts, A beard brush, a comb, and scissors. Who doesn't need scissors in the bathroom? I don't know why, but I am always looking for scissors. Also, keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs with the Weed Whacker 2.0, which offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with a no-tugging guarantee. It's painless to tend to your manholes. And after you get your face looking great, you gotta try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which is the full body grooming experience. And there's good news, because the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all of the other below the waist grooming products that Manscaped is known for. So get 20% off and free shipping with our code, Let's get Haunted at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code, Let's Get Haunted. Always use the right tools for the right job with Manscaped. Um. Okay, so are we supposed to start this episode?
1: Yes, let's get into it. Tell me everything. I'm excited to get haunted. I heard it's a long episode. Oops, we did a very long intro. <laughs> if you're listening to this, part of it is on the Patreon because it was too spicy for mm. the public consumption. But mm. I am ready to get spicy in a different way, with a scary, terrifying haunting.
2: I just want to put a giant trigger warning on this episode. We are going to be talking about death a lot, and some of these experiences are pretty traumatic, I would say. Some of them involve self-harm, abuse, so if you are sensitive to those things, then I would skip this episode for sure. Okay, okay. The subject of dying is often discussed in a businesslike manner with a stoic embrace. For most, death is considered an unfortunate part of the business of living. Thus, we discuss death as if we're conversing on the filing of tax documents or recording of inventory with acceptance but avoidance. And much like paying taxes, death does not make for casual dinner conversation with a new acquaintance And yet, to die is the singular deed we humans all have in common. Regardless of how we as individuals respond to our own mortality, to die is a theme which permeates all cultures across our globe. Some ritualize death with ceremonies devoted to the recently deceased, others romanticize death with artistic interpretations of what dying means, Even the furthest removed from the subject of death will at least be forced to acknowledge it with holidays that glorify the dead. And yet, no matter how much we filter death through our own perception of what it means to die, we really have no idea what happens when we do die. It is claimed that death is the great equalizer of man as we are all subject to the ravages of time and mortality no matter our status in life. The philosopher Marcus Aurelius was said to often remind himself that Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great's mule driver were both buried in the same dirt. William Shakespeare, equally as great in terms of fame and impact as Alexander, was equally unsanctified in his predictions of what death had in store. Hamlet questioned Horatio, to what base uses we may return Horatio. Why may not imagine trace the noble dust of Alexander till he find it stopping a bunghole? Some may interpret this passage with a noble gesture of kindness. In our deaths, we're recycled back into the earth to provide for others. But still, others may wonder if all of our trials and tribulations were for naught, as we cease to exist and enjoy the fruits of our labor. Marcus Aurelius spent much of his life questioning how we could embrace this mortality. Quote, The speed of which all of them vanish, the objects in the world and the memory of them in time, and the real nature of the things our senses experience, especially those that entice us with pleasure or frighten us with pain or are loudly trumpeted by pride. To understand those things, how stupid, contemptible, grimy, decaying, and dead they are, that is what our intellectual powers are for. And to understand what those people really amount to, whose opinions and voices constitute fame, and what dying is, and that if you look at it in the abstract and break down your imaginary ideas of it by logical analysis, you realize that it's nothing but a process of nature which only children can be afraid of. End quote. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations, translated by Gregory Hayes. And so how can we live joyfully in the face of such melancholy end? It's a question humanity has offered many solutions to, but the answers are merely hypothesized. But what if to die was not as finite as death itself? What if death was the precursor to a life outside of our own? For some, the notion of an afterlife is a comforting one. In some ways, so desperate are we to secure our fate in an afterlife that we choose to die defending our belief in such. Once again, this afterlife is merely a theory, unknowable by any still able to communicate with the living. But what if there were a way to see beyond this life into the next and return to tell the story? Today on Let's Get Haunted, we will be examining the phenomena known as NDE or
1: near death experiences. Ali, do you know what an NDE is? Yes, I am so excited that we're finally covering this. I don't know a ton about it, so I'm really excited to learn. But every once in a while on Reddit, I will see posts on like r slash ask Reddit, where it says something like people who have died before and come back, like, you know, share your experience. And it's always so fascinating to me. Um, We actually know somebody whose name I'm not going to say on the podcast right now um, because he did not give me permission to share, but we know somebody recently who technically died and came back. I guess my point is, like, it's not unusual to know somebody who has technically died, even though it's weird to think about, died and then come back, I mean. Um, Of course, we all know someone who's died, like a grandparent or, uh, you know, a friend. But yeah, like people who have died and come back, it is a not super common, but also not uncommon thing to happen. But I don't know anyone personally who has like seen a white light or heard people around them. But I know in your Grim Reaper episode, you Mm -hmm. talked about some stories where, you know, like people who worked in ambulances, like paramedics, had like right before somebody in their ambulance died, they would say, oh, I see, you know, something with me. Right. And I know when we talked about the Andalusian hauntings, which was the Belmez faces and other Andalusian hauntings, we also talked about like a, you know, ghost of a nurse that patients could see right before death. That would like come into their room and they would get scared because they'd be like oh my god this is like the grim reaper coming for me so i'm super stoked to hear what you have for me today
2: I had a lot of interest in this topic because like researching it is fascinating. This is a very well-researched topic that is able to be studied in depth in the medical field by like scientists who like don't even believe in the paranormal and they have access to all of this data. And so if you guys have a skeptic in your life that you want to force to listen to this podcast, this is going to be a good episode for them. An NDE, or near-death experience, is the name given to an observed phenomena that occurs during extreme injury or trauma, most likely by heart attack, shock, ceasing of brain activity, deep general anesthesia, or blunt force trauma as a result of an explosion or fall. NDEs are all life-threatening episodes. However, for something to be considered an NDE by researchers, it must share some broad commonalities, These NDE criteria include, 1. The NDE experiencer suddenly becomes pain-free or has a feeling that all of their pain instantly vanished. 2. The mind is clearer or quicker than usual. 3. There's a sensation of being drawn downwards, upwards, or somewhere other than where the experiencer is currently located. 4. A bright light at the end of a long tunnel or a bright light very far away from the experiencer suddenly develops. 5. The experiencer becomes overwhelmed with feelings of peace, well-being, and unconditional love. 6. The experiencer feels like they suddenly have access to unlimited knowledge. Seven. Life's most powerful moments are recalled or replayed in a sort of highlight reel form. And sometimes there's a preview of future events that are yet to come included in the reel. Eight, there's a sense of detaching from one's body or detaching from reality itself. Nine, the experiencer feels as if they're floating above their own body and they're able to see their physical body being worked on from an outside perspective often by EMTs. In some cases, the person experiencing an NDE will even leave the building their body is in, fly off into space, or just go somewhere otherworldly. 10. Encounters with deceased loved ones, religious figures, or other beings are frequently made in NDEs. We're going to hear some first-person accounts of NDEs I received after posting a story to Instagram asking for NDE experiences. I confess I really did not expect this tactic to yield so many results, and I was delighted at the amount of responses I received from Haunties, but I was unable to respond to everyone. So if yours was excluded, it's not because it wasn't good. It's just because I procrastinated during our break by making bread and listening to motivational speech (laughs) compilations on YouTube instead of compiling data for my stories. Sorry. By the way, if you want to participate, in any of my haunted studies, you can follow me on Instagram at Caminals, S-E-A-A-M-I-N-A-L-S, because I ask very rude personal questions often. So for this episode, I posted a story that read, quote, has anyone here experienced or know anyone else who has had a near-death experience with auditory or visual hallucinations or components? Message me. And here are some of the messages that I got. At Berg Butler said, quote, I've been a nurse for six years. And I worked in a cardiac unit, lots of heart issues. I'd say I've coded 50 plus people. Every time I take care of a person that has coded, I always ask them if they remember it. I had two guys at one time have it happen, and their rooms were back to back. Both of them said that they could remember everything, it was like they were sitting on the light fixture above their body. They could even see and hear everything from up there. They knew who was doing what. I asked if they saw anything else, and neither of them did, and that's how they knew it wasn't their time to go yet. Sarah Wright said, quote, It was years ago when my grandparents and great-uncle went on a trip together. They had a great day of touring, and then they settled into bed. Suddenly, at about 2 a.m., my grandma wakes up to my aunt screaming, Call 911! My uncle wasn't responding, so she started CPR. So 911 shows up fast, and they get his heart going again. However, everyone's watches and clocks in the room stopped all at exactly the same time. When my uncle died, he went into a bright room. The bright room had some doors, and so he started walking. My great aunt's dad, who is deceased, came to him in this bright white room and stopped him from going any further. My great aunt's dad told him that it wasn't his time and that my aunt still needs him. He told him to just turn around. So then my great uncle came back. My grandma says that he complained about the ghosts in his house even more after. It was a really haunted house. It used to be a bed and breakfast for settlers coming over before they got their homesteads up. He never talks about it anymore and he gets really mad if you ask him about it. So I could never talk about it with him. Wow. Kata BX says, quote, One of my patients was clinically dead for 20 minutes and said he crossed over and saw his dead wife and his parents in a beautiful garden. But they told him that it wasn't his time yet. He said it really fucked him up because his life here was and still is pretty shitty because of health and money reasons and he would have preferred to stay on the other side. Honestly his story just really fucked me up for a while but it also gave me hope in an afterlife.
1: Wow. You know, what's kind of freaky is on my way here today as I was like half awake driving, because as we've discussed before, I don't wake up in a serene way. What I do is I set my alarm for the very last minute and launch myself out of bed. And normally I like wear the clothes to sleep that I'm going to wear the next day. It's iconic. But on my way here in like my half awake state, I was actually thinking to myself, I wonder if your life flashes before your eyes before you die. Like, I wonder if that is actually true. And this is just, you know, an intrusive thought that I had on my way to work today for no reason. And I wonder if subconsciously I thought you were going to do NDEs today. I don't know how I would have known that. (sighs) psychic but I was thinking to myself like you know there's that stupid fucking meme that pisses me off because it's probably true that says oh before you die your life flashes before your eyes make sure you're living a life that you want to replay and I was like fuck you like I was thinking Mm -hmm. that in my head I was like dude fuck you put this pressure on me oh yeah and also because I have anxiety and it's just like As someone with anxiety, you're just automatically going to be worried about something like that if you're thinking too much about it. So then I'm just going to only remember, like, the time that I, like, almost shit my pants on my way home from somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's just only going to be, like, bad memories (laughs) because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it is interesting to think of, like oh, like this person had their NDE and they saw like everyone they love in a beautiful garden, like bathed in light. And they were told like, it's not their time to go. And I was just thinking to myself, does that mean that if there's nobody in your life that you love or like, does that mean like if you have like more bad memories than good that when you like, you don't get to see that hallucination? Like, or, or is the afterlife benevolent and you will only see like a positive scene. I don't know. That's just what came to mind.
2: Yeah, these are the questions that are definitely going to be stirred up this episode. I mean, we're all going to leave this episode with way too many thoughts. Oh,
1: existential crisis in the making. Oh, for sure. (laughs)
2: For fucking sure. So I'm really glad that you're already thinking that way. And maybe everyone can feel like this is a safe space to have anxiety and existential dread. Yes,
1: and as everyone knows who's listened to this podcast for a long period of time, I'm very terrified of death because nobody knows what it is. And the unknown is very scary, right? So just really looking forward to having a full blown panic attack with you today, Natalia. And cheers to everyone who offered their NDE experiences. Thank you for contributing to my mental breakdown. But it's a good mental breakdown because that is the whole purpose of this podcast to get really haunted yeah. and uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: And welcome back, everybody who's been to the other side and lived to tell the tale. Slay.
1: Yeah, congratulations. We love having you
2: here. Near-death experiences aren't limited to adults. This is an interview I had with Donna. Donna had a near-death experience when she was only a child.
3: Well, first of all, I was a kid around seven years old. We were playing kickball in the middle of the street. I was grabbing for the ball itself over by the curb. And I didn't hear the motorcycle coming because he was like in back of me. When I squat down and that's when it hit, I I went flying across the street. I may have hit my head on the, the, the street somehow or the curb. I don't know. But I know my sister was there at the time. And she was like, "Oh, God, can call you know the ambulance and get mom and dad." And my arm was split open from the mirror, I guess. My sister and everybody was trying to help me out. And the ambulance came, you know. Of course, they were working on me, you know, getting at my stitches and stuff. And I have 27 stitches in that arm. And I kind of blacked out after that. I was on the operating table. And all of a sudden I heard one of the doctors say that I can't find a heart or pulse beat. And I saw like a bright white light. I saw my body lift up over my body. And then I was like, somehow turned around and I saw my body, you know, laying on, you know, the, the table right there. And it was just weird. And I saw what the doctors were doing I don't know how long I was dead or whatever. I I kept on telling myself, you know, I can't die. My mom's going to kill me. You know? (laughs) It was more or less like, boom, I had to go. I went right back into my body after that. All I remember was the doctor saying that, okay, she's going to be okay.
2: NDE stories are fascinating. They challenge what we understand about consciousness and what happens to the body during and after death. Only a few decades ago, NDE stories were reserved for science fiction and cheap magazine covers. However, the public perception of NDEs are beginning to shift. Not only are near-death experiences becoming less taboo to speak about, they're also becoming a verified and well-researched phenomena by scientists. Ali, do you know what a veridical NDE is?
4: A
1: veridical? No. Does that mean like a researched or something? Or like a a verified? Yeah, so basically I I learned a new word, veridical. Why wouldn't they
2: just say I have never heard a that. verifiable? I don't know. But anyways. A veridical NDE is a near-death experience where the experiencer is able to acquire verifiable information that was unable to be obtained by any sort of normal means. Oh. These veridical NDE accounts have been verified by hospital staff or people present at the scene, and they are invaluable to NDE researchers. I'm going to give you some examples of veridical NDE accounts that have been part of peer review studies. All of my links are in the show notes, and you guys can check them out if you would like to. In 2001, a Dutch study was conducted by cardiologist Pern van Lommel. There were 344 consecutive cardiac patients who had been resuscitated after cardiac arrest in 10 different Dutch hospitals. Quote, We compared demographic, medical, pharmacological, and psychological data between patients who reported NDE and patients who did not, who were the controls, after resuscitation. In a longitudinal study of life changes after NDE, we compared the groups two and eight years later, end quote. Interestingly enough, of the 344 patients who had been resuscitated after cardiac arrest, there were 62 patients, or 18%, who had reported having near-death experiences, of whom 41, or 12%, described this experience as a core memory. Here are some of those NDEs on which the study was based. In one account, there was a patient who was in an artificial coma under respiration for days. Upon waking, the patient recognized a male nurse who had removed his dentures for intubation, and he asked the nurse to return his dentures after describing exactly where they were located. The man also described details of the resuscitation room, procedure, and appearances of other staff who he had never met or seen before. The dentures were removed during the comatose period, and nobody on the staff had mentioned the removal of the dentures before the patient was put in a comatose state. Another account features a male child who had an NDE where he saw dead relatives. Quote, There were some presences there. There were some ladies. I didn't know them at the time. They were so loving and so wonderful, and I I just didn't want to come back. I didn't see any pictures of them until I was an adult, but then I said, oh yeah, those were my great-grandmothers who had died years before I was born. End quote. A doctor described a patient's NDE in a car wreck. As soon as the patient knew that collision was imminent, time seemed to slow down. He hit his brakes and he began sliding uncontrollably. The patient said he felt as if he left his body. While in this unattached state, the patient experienced a life review with brief pictures and flashes of his life. At the same time, the patient's car struck the back of a truck and the truck bed came crashing through his window, causing multiple injuries to his head and his chest. Medical reports state that the patient was in a coma and almost died. The patient felt as if he had left this physical state and entered into complete darkness where he was moving up a long, dark tunnel with a point of light at the end. A being, quote, filled with love and light, end quote appeared and gave him a second life review that was guided by this being made of light. The patient felt complete love and compassion as he witnessed all of the moral choices from his lifetime. At that moment, the patient understood that he was important to the universe and that his life had purpose. Some accounts of veridical out-of-body experiences were of patients who had traveled through walls to waiting rooms and could see their relatives and friends. One patient experienced herself outside of her body and traveled through a wall where she saw her young daughter wearing mismatched plaids, which was very unusual for her daughter. She was able to tell what her daughter was wearing despite having no idea what the daughter put on before coming to the hospital. Another case featured a woman who traveled through a wall and overheard her brother-in-law in the waiting room fighting with a business partner on the phone she was able to reveal details about that phone conversation that she wouldn't have been able to hear from where she was located. There are even blind people who report being able to see during their NDE. Psychiatrist Brian Weiss says of his blind elderly female patient, quote, She suffered a cardiac arrest during her stay in the hospital where I was the chairman of the psychiatry department. She was unconscious as the resuscitation team tried to revive her. According to her later report, she floated out of her body and stood near the window watching the resuscitation. She observed without any pain whatsoever as they thumped on her chest and pumped air into her lungs. During the resuscitation, a pen fell out of her doctor's pocket and rolled near the same window where her out of body spirit was standing and watching. The doctor walked over, picked up the pen, and put it back in his pocket. He then rejoined the frantic effort to save the woman. They succeeded. Quote A few days later, she told her doctor that she had observed the resuscitation team at work during her cardiac arrest. No he soothingly reassured her. You were probably hallucinating because of a lack of oxygen to the brain. This can happen when the heart stops beating. But I saw your pen roll over to the window, she replied. She then described the pen and other details of the resuscitation. The doctor was shocked. His patient had not only been comatose during the resuscitation, but she had also been blind for many years, end quote. What do you think of that?
1: You know, the first thing that comes to mind is that a lot like these sorts of veridical, you said, right? Veridical NDEs, they remind me a lot of astral projection. And so I'm like, oh, is astral projection just somebody who like has gained the ability to have almost like, I don't know, like an NDE? but not die.
2: Right. Like, are they meditating themselves into a state where their heart stops and they just don't realize? Yeah. It? Psh, fuck right. Him. I don't
1: know. Or like they had just have dominion over the ability to like live. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like, I feel like some people are living with, like, no supernatural abilities, right? That'd right. be like me. I feel like I have none of those. And then other people have just, like, tapped into this, like, higher power. Mm-hmm. There's a space between life and death, I feel like. Like, existing and not existing. Are they able to just enter that space? And that's what astral projection is? I don't know.
2: These are beautiful well thought out questions that just perfectly complement this episode i feel like that's what we're all thinking right now right like the wheels are spinning a thousand miles an hour and i'm gonna answer all of those questions for us donna went on to tell me that she was intuitive the out-of-body experience she had during her accident was not an isolated incident And Donna might have even passed some of those abilities down to her child, a haunty who goes by Red. Red joins us for the second half of this interview.
3: Well, I have premonitions of things that, you know, come. We're a family
4: of, like, kind of witches, so...
3: (laughs) Well, not witches. I'm, you know... I mean, I am, so... (laughs) Well, you are, but...
4: (laughs) my mom is actually very in tune with death and dead people and she actually
3: predicted her mom's death it, it was weird because i could feel her spirit spirit pass, spirit pass. it was like one forty-five in the morning and i was on the, my way to go to my sister's house where she was at
4: and ironically i knew that there was something wrong too because i felt like a weird energy and went downstairs. And this is when my mom came back from, you know, visiting where she was. And all of a sudden I see my mom like going through photos and stuff for like, you know, the the funeral and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, something bad happened. And then the paranormal stuff kind of like got inherited through me.
3: I can predict certain things, you know, not everything. Sometimes I dream it. You know, something's going to happen or it's like deja vu, you know, where I've been there before. You know, it's basically like other people that I see like, okay, something's going to not be great in this situation. When my sister's friend was ready to go out, I go, "Uh, there's something going to happen with this, you know, with her. I had a, a somewhat of a dream type thing that she was inside a vehicle and she was traveling and her and her friends, you know, her three friends, they went driving and they were coming home or whatever they were doing. And they got into an accident and her friend passed away. And I I had a prediction that something was going to happen to her. Now, the only thing that was changed was the seating arrangement.
2: I was eager to find out more, so I asked Donna if anyone else in the family had the ability to tell the future.
3: Well, I remember my mom telling me that on my dad's side of the family, that grandma was telling her that her daughter's not going to go out, meaning my aunt is not going to go outside the house because there's something going to happen. She was very psychic, you know, so I don't know if I inherited that from one side of my family or not.
4: Ironically, most of her sibling, my mom's siblings, are, like, skeptic. Wow. And it's like, we became, like, the woo-woo psychic <laughs> people. <laughs> We're, like, pretty much, like, you know, connected more to, like, Ghostly spirits and stuff like that. I frequent this place called Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. So I got attracted over to a family called the Hamiltons and I just started meditating and like communing with the spirits. And I gave them an offering and I'm like, I want to understand how you passed away. And literally two seconds later, I couldn't breathe at all. Like, and I was, like, able to breathe fine. But, like, I could not breathe at all. Like, my chest was heavy. My, like, throat was getting shot a little bit. It it was, like, kind of threatening in a way. But, like, I was like, okay, okay. I learned my information that I need to know. Thank you so much for using my body for that you know interaction you could you could leave my body please and they were respectful they did it i found a website with all the people that are buried in that particular cemetery and one of the hamilton family's death certificates were on the website they died of asphyxiation i'm like bitch called it we had a communication over here
2: I asked Red and Donna if they had anything else to share before they went. And I was surprised to find out that Donna had been to John Wayne Gacy's house. Yes, the serial killer that we covered in episode 40 entitled John Wayne Gacy and his haunted artwork. I had to know more. I'm not sure if this is relevant or not, but you guys need to find this out too.
4: My mom is also a chaotic mess because she also went to John Wayne Gacy's house for a party. wait
2: his house when he was alive like before he was a murderer yeah Yeah. and you met him yeah holy fuck did you get like weird vibes from him
3: she smelled the fucking bathroom and she said that rinked i only met him for a couple of hours you know so that was about it you look shook as fuck
2: (laughs) were you other i am well this is invaluable i mean red as you know because you listen to the podcast everyone's going to lose their mind at that detail so now i can't leave that alone were you were there with other people or you were just okay yeah
3: he had a picnic or whatever in his backyard so
4: if you want to know weird synchronicity of why i'm like super obsessed with true crime i believe in like you know synchronicity and i'm pretty sure that you might as well yeah um so my mom went to John Wayne Gacy's house and met John Wayne Gacy. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer was born the day, or not the day, but like the year that my mom was born. He was caught the year my sister was born on my dad's birthday. And he died on the year that I was born. I was also born during the OJ Simpson car chase. And I worked at the Unabombers High School as a custodian. (laughs) what the fuck do you feel like is
2: do you feel like that's what makes you chaotic like what does that mean
4: and like one of my things that i really want to like you know get into is forensic psychology so i can interview serial killers and stuff because i'm
3: obsessed
4: with true crime that's probably a weird synchronicity of like why i'm interested in all this weird bullshit (laughs)
2: Right, like you've been given all these skills and abilities to relate to these psychopaths so that later you can get inside their mind and interview them.
4: Right.
2: Okay, so my brain was working in overdrive, trying to make connections to figure out what all of this meant. Did the NDE happen because Donna already had a connection to the other side? Or did the NDE strengthen the connection to the other side? But what about Donna's grandmother? That seems to nullify the hypothesis that perhaps the NDE strengthened her ability. The fact that Donna's grandmother had the ability to perceive what was going to happen in the future as well makes me wonder if this was a long line, but What is the connection between NDEs and the other side? How can this ability be passed down from one generation to the other? Where's the thread? Let's go back to that 2001 Dutch study about the veridical NDEs to see if we can uncover what that thread is. Although these veridical NDE stories are mind-bending, what's even more interesting is the findings of the study that they were a part of was unable to pinpoint why NDEs occur. According to the study, quote, occurrence of the experience was not associated with duration of cardiac arrest or unconsciousness, medication, or fear of death before cardiac arrest. Depth of the experience was affected by sex, surviving CPR outside the hospital, and fear before the cardiac arrest. Significantly more patients who had an NDE, especially a deep experience, died within 30 days of CPR end quote. So that was the findings of that study. So basically they did this study where they they took all of these NDEs that like had these components of them that were interesting because like how can a blind person tell like what the color of this pin was that rolled over to a window that she wouldn't have been able to see even if she wasn't blind because she was having CPR during a cardiac arrest. Like, that's interesting to doctors because it's not just a bunch of made up bullshit because, you know, they're like in a fucking hospital setting and other people are able to like attest and be like, oh, yeah, this girl was like fucking, you know, like on the ground dying. Like she didn't have like a secret camera. Right, right. Their findings were that they thought, okay, well, perhaps, um, you know, people are having these NDEs because... Uh, they have a cardiac arrest or they go unconscious or they have medication or they're just like afraid of death before cardiac arrest. And they found that none of those uh, factors played in to whether or not an NDE would occur because there were people who had cardiac arrest or were unconscious or had medication and were terrified of death before cardiac arrest, but they didn't have an NDE. Oh, that, okay. Right? And they found that the depth of the experience was affected by sex and surviving CPR outside of the hospital and fear before the cardiac arrest. So that is saying that We don't know why people have an NDE, but we do know that once they do have an NDE, the level, like the depth at which that experience affects them directly correlates with their sex, whether they survived CPR outside of the hospital, and if they were terribly afraid before the cardiac arrest. Now, this is just information for weird skeptics who are like trying to disprove everything right now. I'm just saying fuck you guys, you have to listen to the rest of this episode because you still don't know what's going on.
1: Wait, so are you saying that people's ability to have an NDE was affected by like well, their sex is that what you're saying no
2: i'm saying that we don't understand why people have ndes it seems like oh, okay. there we give one person the perfect formula for an nde you know they have a cardiac arrest they're unconscious people are doing cpr on them and they don't have an nde but then someone else has the exact same factors and they do have an nde
1: oh i got you okay
2: because a lot of people hypothesize well this is just because people were like really scared so they were like hallucinating and their anxiety got to them and they were just like believing they you know they were having a dissociation or whatever but the study found that you can't pinpoint what causes an NDE but all those factors come into play of like how people describe the NDE so like someone who was terrified right before might be like oh my god uh you know there was like this really long tunnel and a bright light and I was being sucked up and there was like this loud music and whatever and then someone else who wasn't afraid like maybe they were already unconscious before they had the cardiac arrest would just be like I felt like I was out of my body and time stopped and you know it would just be a different experience got it and then the crazy thing is that people who had the like deepest ndes like people who quote unquote like went as far as they could to the other side and came back most of them died within 30 days of cpr wow the paranormal side of us might be like well maybe they like went too far you know are they like serious black who like went behind this random cloth that like makes no sense and they just like never came back and they couldn't you know
1: Or maybe they saw what was on the other other side and they liked it. Because I know, like, for example, my grandpa, he was perfectly healthy. My grandma passed away super young because she had a lot of health issues. But then my grandpa lived to be 90. And when he died he died on his wedding anniversary and he had like really been missing her and he'd never remarried like never tried to even see anyone ever like after that and um he died and on his calendar the date was like circled on his calendar and he Died on that day, and it was his wedding anniversary. So I know, like talking to doctors, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, the human will has a lot to do with when our time comes." And you know, there are some people who like suffer and they want to pass, and unfortunately, they can't, and they're they're like suffering up until the end. And then there's some people who seem perfectly healthy, but they can just sort of like, you know, their human will just kind of gives out, and they seem to die on a on a day that makes sense. Um, And so I wonder if someone who traveled to the other side and got really, really far was like, this is way better than what I've got going on here on Earth. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe that has something to do with it.
2: I think that's a really good way to look at the data because maybe someone who's having a heart attack as like part of some sort of chronic heart problem that they have, they can't necessarily live their life the way that they want to because they you know can't work out or they like can't I don't know push their heart to do things maybe they're fucking drug user and all they want to do is just get really high and take drugs and they can't because now they're gonna have a heart attack and they'd rather fucking die I don't know I'm just saying that it's provocative if you think about it
1: yeah I will say my dad had a heart attack um super young because he has a congenital heart defect and he didn't have to be resuscitated he got chest pain And the arm pain and immediately he was like, I know what this is, even though he had never had a heart attack before. So my mom drove him to the hospital because in the US, you never call an ambulance um, because it's super fucking expensive. And she brought him in, said he had chest pain. They took him right back and they were like, yep, you're having a heart attack. And he never lost consciousness or anything. They just, they give you this medicine that like thins your blood. And then they like went in with some sort of scope and like looked around his heart and they were like, okay, yeah, you have like this congenital heart issue that you weren't aware of. Um, And then they ended up not having to do anything and he made like a full recovery and had no muscle death, which I guess is pretty rare, but he has to like take blood thinner medication now and stuff. But yeah, I mean, so he's still, my point is, he's still alive, had no NDE, like, mm-hmm. li- I hope he lives forever, I love my dad, Um, and didn't die, right? Like, this is someone right. who had no NDE, and even after the fact of receiving medical treatment, didn't die. Um, I don't know if that relates to this story no, at all, but... No, it does, all, because but,
2: maybe, maybe the connection is, like, he wanted to live.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yes. I think yeah. that's probably where my mind is trying to go. So, if... If somebody has a heart attack and then doesn't have an NDE or has the super scary NDE, probably the will to live is like much higher Mm -hmm. than somebody who has an NDE and like sees something cool or sees what is on the quote unquote other side Mm -hmm. and then is like, that's not so bad. Like, I can just
2: see someone being like, oh, so you think that people who die
1: wanted to die and that their will to live like wasn't strong enough? That's really fucked up. Well, dudes, I've given you guys two examples from real life, and that's all I've got, you guys.
2: According to the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies, veridical near-death experiences, quote, are intensely vivid and often life-transforming experiences, many of which occur under extreme physiological conditions in which no awareness or sensory experiences of any kind should be possible according to the prevailing views in neuroscience, end quote. We don't understand NDEs, and researchers are only now starting to take them more seriously than we did in the past. In fact, the University of Virginia is conducting a study looking for veridical NDE experiencers now. Links are in the show notes if you'd like to submit to that study. Oh. Modern interest in NDEs began back in the 1970s, but there are descriptions of NDEs dating back to the ancient Greeks. Heraclitus, Democritus, and Plato all wrote about revenants, which were people who died but then later recovered. Side note, it makes you wonder, was Jesus perhaps someone who had had an NDE and so then he made it his life's purpose to spread his understanding of our place in the universe based off of his near-death experience? There's no answer to to that. (laughs) Yeah. Allie, have you heard of the Tibetan Book of the Dead?
1: I have, but I don't know anything about it. Okay. Again, this was like a Reddit post where someone posted a picture of like an antique book and was like, this is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And then I didn't look into it.
2: So basically, I'm going to do an entire episode on the origins of this haunted book, but the short version is that the Tibetan Book of the Dead is a medieval Buddhist text that contains vivid descriptions of intermediary states between death and rebirth with illustrations. And look, I'm not trying to be culturally insensitive, but the illustrations in this book are freaking me the fuck out. I'm going to show you some (laughs) right now.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so Natalia it has shared a photo with me of an illustration found in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And this is actually not what I was expecting. When I think of like old antique tomes, I think of like, you know, those medieval, like super faded um, drawings of like frogs raining from the sky. This is a very, very colorful um, illustration of a dragon wearing a crown made of human skulls and pearls, and then there is a dancing skeleton next to this dragon. It appears to be dancing on maybe like a flower or a cushion. Then there are all of these skulls in the background that appear to be like stacked on top of each other, almost like they're in shelves or maybe like in a brick wall, but they're all smiling, which is really freaky. And there are no eyes, like it's empty sockets with just these big smiling, happy faces. And then on the right-hand side of the drawing, there is a lot of fire and what appears to be a like funeral mask perhaps there's like a very ornate mask that almost reminds me of like star wars when what what was the (laughs) name everyone's gonna hate me what was natalie portman's character named i'm not a huge star wars
2: person no
1: no that's that's the fifth element princess Princess zeta
2: is leia leia
1: leia i don't know but the one you know i'm talking about where where natalie portman is wearing like the tubes on her hair no 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 Yeah, that's the fifth element um Natalie <laughs> no, Portman <laughs> no I'm
2: not you bitch it's Natalie Portman has like her hair in like tube tube buns on the side of her head in like a stupid oh, lipstick mark I thought you mark. were talking
1: about the I thought you were talking about the opera alien from fifth element because that's where Lilo's from oh, yes right. okay that's what I, yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah Natalie Portman Um, wore a headdress everyone else knows what I'm talking about but me (laughs) okay then the next um, illustration that Natalia has sent me is a three-eyed monster with like a pug nose and it's also wearing a crown made of smiling human skulls these skulls have eyes and these eyes look insane these eyes look like they will shoot lasers at you (laughs) and just cremate your body where you stand yeah I very colorful
2: I will say, like, if I were to, like, you know, take some sort of trippy hallucinogen, whatever, and look at these photos, I would, like, instantly have a bad trip, in my opinion. Yeah, no, the the nightmare. Some people might be comforted by, like, skeletons, eyeballs, fires, uh, and, like, skin falling off of bodies and screaming. Um, But (laughs) I find it, like, a little frightening, personally.
1: You know, when I was little, I was so grossed out by skeletons you know like on halloween where people will have like random skeletons skeletons have always been super gross to me now in like modern times as like an adult they're a little less gross to me but the idea that like that is like a human that was a human like the flesh has rotted away it's morbid and left this skeleton, yeah, as a child, that, like, freaked me out, and I did not, I like, if people had too many Halloween decorations up, and I could see them from my kitchen, I just remember I wouldn't be able to eat breakfast, because I'd be like, that is, like, the remains of a human with like chunks of flesh cut from it and like that's fucking gross and I wouldn't want to eat.
2: Enzo he like is really interested in skeletons and YouTube will like sometimes recommend like a Halloween episode of something like when he's watching his little nursery rhymes and stuff and he'll just say that and like pick out like this same song that's like everything is scary it's very very scary and it's all of these like uh skeletons dancing around and then there's another one that's like when the when the clock strikes four all the skeletons lose their foot and the skeletons are like dancing around and he thinks it's really interesting and cody's like and and people who are in my house they're like are you like are you trying to get him to be haunted and i'm like look i'm i have never once (laughs) not played any of this shit for him he found it on youtube and was interested in it and now like the algorithm keeps giving him more halloween content and i think he's just like has no idea what it is because he's like never seen a skeleton before and there's no like he he doesn't know what it is he
1: probably just thinks yeah he probably just thinks like oh it's a costume or it's like an animal of some sort right
2: like he's like i look forward to the day like just like how i've seen a dog out in person i will see a skeleton dancing in person yeah yeah (laughs) so most haunted of all the tibetan book of the dead is not meant to be read aloud it's meant to be read aloud to the dead. Yes, you heard right. Corpses are the intended audience for this classic piece of literature. The lines of this book speak directly to this deceased when read aloud. Quote, "'Oh, alas, alas, fortunate child of Buddha nature.'" Do not be oppressed by the forces of ignorance and delusion, but rise up now with resolve and courage. Entranced by ignorance from beginningless time until now, you have had more than enough time to sleep. So do not slumber any longer, but strive after virtue with body, speech, and mind. End quote. I want to add a disclaimer that this book was only translated into English in 1927, despite having been around since before medieval times. And according to some of my sources, there are some Buddhists who don't believe their values align with the translation of this book. For example, in Tibetan, the title is bardo thadol, which actually translates to liberation through hearing during the intermediate state. But in 1927, Tibetan oh. Book of the Dead basically just sounded fucking cool because it played off of the Egyptian revivalist art that was all of the rage in the 20s that we talked about in the Tutankhamun episode. And it also mirrored another book that was popular at the time that had recently been discovered, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which was oh, trending at the gotcha. time as well. Furthermore, the quote-unquote book of the dead was popularized during the psychedelic spiritualism movement of the 60s, so it was treated as this sort of like quasi-religious spiritual trip map by some, like, you know, hippies would take like a bunch of like psychedelics and wear all white and like trip out on this fucking book, so I'm just throwing that out there for all of you hardcore orthodox Buddhists who listen to LGH, I see you. But even despite the unorthodox use of this text, my point still remains that the existence of such a book illustrates a cultural understanding of the liminal space between life and death as being a conscious one. What do you think about that passage that I read?
1: Um, It scared me, but um, just because anything involving death frightens me, um, it makes me feel very existential and like, just realize we're all gonna die one day and like nobody knows what happens and whoa man we our time here is so limited and each passing year just feels like it passes faster and faster and ever since the pandemic it just sort of feels like um maybe we're not alive at all and maybe we phased into a different parallel universe and um yeah it's pretty scary i am spiraling it
2: could like be a little comforting though right because they're basically saying like hey like death is now a rebirth for you because you're no longer um forced to be oppressed by like ignorance and uh like material things and so don't be afraid but like rise up now and like enjoy this beginningless time because you've been asleep your whole entire life, and only now are you going to be free. Yeah, I mean, I... But also, like, maybe they're just trying to say shit. They don't fucking know what
1: happens. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they had an NDE, and they do know, and that's what this book is about, is like a compilation of people who went to the other side. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that part of the reason of my fear is uh, is just because in western culture death is like very taboo to talk about which we have discussed in our spontaneous human combustion episode which is like the which worst you did possible. you researched that. i know i know because i hate myself but um <laughs> so so yeah maybe like by i don't actually hate myself what i mean to say is i think that researching these topics or hearing about them my hope is that through the these episodes, I will become less afraid of death mm, yeah, um, by like exposure therapy, you know, like right. that's what I've tried to do with my fear of heights. Like I went skydiving, <laughs> um, I <laughs> rock climbed like, okay, but... What I am discovering is that sometimes phobias are just phobias and you never get over them. I am still afraid of heights. But who knows? Maybe by the end of this episode, I will feel more comforted um, because I will know that death is not the end, but merely the beginning of a new phase. Wow. So...
2: We've learned about NDEs and we've heard fucked up stories that make us wonder a bunch of shit. And then we also got a splash of science to tie it all together and make for a great party conversation. But there's one question that still remains. Why? Like what I want to know. I don't give a fuck about the science. Oh, your brain is like part of your brain is dead. I don't give a fuck. Why? Why are... These weird NDEs happening. Like, why why don't you just die? Like, why don't you just, like, you cease to exist, good, gone. Why, in the last moment of consciousness, is your brain like, let's start a fairy tale. Like, oh, this is time for an adventure. <laughs> and now, your whole life, I never supported you or made you feel happy or safe or good. But at this last brief moment, which you will not be able to enjoy because you'll be fucking dead, I will make you feel loved and good and comforted. Why? Why? The fuck is this universe so cruel or is it nice? I don't fucking know. But this question of why the mind experiences this struggle to sustain its operations, even in the face of this loss of blood, a loss of oxygen. Why is the mind trying so hard to make this a positive and blissful experience instead of panic inducing? Right. The question of why is then not answered, and is further divided into an argument on our understanding of consciousness, these are the two questions that branch down from why. One, is consciousness produced by the brain as a secondary effect of living and surviving? Or two, is consciousness itself a separate entity that exits alongside, but completely separate from our physical nervous system? For scientists limited to controlled studies and verifiable data, the answer remains a mystery. But luckily for us, I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to figure out these fucking answers to life's mysteries. Allie, have you ever heard of an inverted NDE?
1: What? Like a like an inverted... Um, Triangle? N- no. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Okay. Okay.
2: Inverted if- nipple? I had a friend who has one. It's cool.
1: Yeah, um, I was thinking inverted penis, but I didn't say it. Wait, do you know someone with an inverted penis? No, I don't. I feel like it's something on South Park or something. I don't know. Wait,
2: what if it wasn't like the penis going into your body, but it was just like the balls were on the tip and the base was on? (laughs) their skin so they just had like their balls out like to the world i don't know why that's really funny to me
1: i mean a vagina is just an inverted penis so i don't know um but basically okay so if an nde is like an experience uh, unverifiable data then an inverted nde I don't know. That to me is like, was that someone who remembers their birth super vividly? Like, Not
2: all NDEs are positive and blissful. Some are oh. terrifying and make the experiencer feel loneliness, despair, and fearful of what is happening. It's hypothesized that less of these distressing NDEs are reported due to shame. However, there are some documented accounts that exist. A scientific article published for Missouri Medicine in November of 2014 entitled Distressing Near-Death Experiences by the President of International Association for Near-Death Studies and the Professor and Director of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia School of Medicine had some unusually grim NDEs examined. There are three types of distressing NDEs examined in this study. The inverse NDE, the void NDE, and the hellish NDE. The inverse NDE contains features that are usually reported in other ndes as being like pleasurable but instead in an inverse nde they're perceived as being threatening for example in the study there was a man who was bucked off of his horse and he floated up over his body and then he looked down and he saw that emts were tending to his body and he was screaming out no put me back i don't want to be here i want to be in my body like put me back but nobody could hear him And then against his will next, he was flying through a tunnel of darkness towards this bright light against his will. And as he flew by, there were shadow people who were like the haunting ghosts of dead
1: family members. And he was terrified. Oh my God. That is my nightmare.
2: Then there was a woman who during childbirth, she felt herself leave her body and she started rushing towards a bright light. She says, quote, it became bigger and bigger as it came towards me. I realized that we were on a collision course and it terrified me. I saw the blinding white light come right to me and engulf me. End quote. There was also a person who collapsed from hypothermia and they had a life review that was played for them. But, there, but they said, quote, I was filled with such sadness and experienced a great deal of depression. End quote so like you know bright light some people are like oh this is so nice like there's a bright light at the end of the tunnel and i'm like being visited by like my family members like i feel so comforted by this and you know other people are like oh i like left my body and da-da-da-da-da. and it was like this miraculous thing and and all of these people are like no I left my body. I was dragged through the fucking underworld where I saw a bunch of dead, scary shadow figures staring at me. I could have no control over it. And it was terrible.
1: Um, Yeah. So this just goes back to my intrusive thought I was having driving here on the way here where it's like, Oh, everyone says, oh, it's so nice. Your life flashes before your eyes when you die, whatever. Okay. And then it's like to imagine just the worst memories you ever have, like flashing before your eyes when you die. Like, no, no, I cannot. Right. Like, this is
2: the time you got a boner, like, while you were giving a speech.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't even think about it.
2: The Void NDE is characterized by a perceived vast combination of emptiness, aloneness, isolation, and complete destruction. For example, a woman in childbirth felt herself leave her body and travel into the emptiness of space where a group of circular entities revealed to her that she had actually never existed. She was told that her entire life was imaginary and it was all just some sort of joke that was being shared by these entities. They told her she was not real and the woman starts arguing with these entities and she's like, no, 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 you're not going to trick me. I live on earth and I've had a life. I know I have a family. I know I have people who love me. I am not buying into your bullshit. Like, I am real. And the entities just laughed at her, and they are saying, no, none of that had ever been real. This was all just a, like a zoo experiment of ours on you, and you don't exist. All that exists in the universe is just this vast emptiness of space. There was never an earth. There's never you. You don't even exist." And all of your life was just a false vision we implanted in your brain. And then the entities just disappeared and left her in that emptiness alone forever.
1: I I didn't think (laughs) it could get worse. And it's just gotten worse. I don't even know what to say. That is the worst thing I could possibly think of.
2: There was someone who was attacked by a hitchhiker, which is a very interesting story that they don't elaborate on any further. But they recalled, quote, I suddenly was surrounded by total blackness, floating in nothing but blank space with no up, no down, no left, or no right. What seemed like an eternity went by. I fully lived in this misery. I was only allowed to think and reflect. So, those were super fun. There's also the hellish NDE, which is exactly what it sounds like. For example, there was a man. He had heart failure and he fell down into the deepest part of the earth. At the deepest part of the earth, after he fell down, he saw these like tall, rusted, scary fucking gates like waiting for him. And he just assumed, okay, that's hell. This is not good. And so he was terrified of being banished to hell. So he somehow just managed to like climb back out of the hole out of just like pure anxiety and get away from the gates to hell.
1: I I did hear a story of an NDE. And if you're going to talk about this later, you can cut this out, but it seems relevant where a guy who was an like a really staunch atheist had an NDE went to hell And then when he was revived, um, he like became religious because he had seen hell and like wanted to, you know, change his ways. I don't know what religion he prescribed to after that. I did not look that deep into it. It was another thing I saw on Reddit, but I mean, pretty wild. Yeah, if you saw something like that, like the scariest thing you can possibly imagine and you were like, this is my future, I imagine it would be like a, a lot of life changes all in a row to like... Fix that trajectory, right? Well, a
2: lot of people who have NDEs, they are they completely change their life after. It's like a huge wake up call for them in so many ways. There was a woman, and she was being led through this like scary, just desolate landscape, and she said that there was a bunch of lost, sad souls who were in pain and she wanted to reach out and help them and like guide them along the path so they wouldn't be like lost and alone and in pain anymore but the guide that was guiding her through this land just wouldn't let her help them at all there was an atheistic university professor who had an intestinal rupture and he felt like he was being pinched and torn apart by evil creatures
1: Yes, that's the one. Yes,
2: yes. And it totally changed his perception of life, like you said after that. And you have to wonder like, where did the creatures, were they there all along? Did they cause the intestinal rupture? Like, what came first? There was a woman who wanted to end her life. And so she attempted to do so. And afterwards, her body began sinking into this really dark, cold, watery pit. Quote When I reached the bottom, It resembled the entrance to a cave with what looked like webs hanging. I heard cries, wails, moans, and the gnashing of teeth. I saw these beings that resembled humans with the shape of a head and a body, but they were ugly and grotesque. They were frightening and they sounded like they were tormented in agony. End quote. There was another experiencer who messaged me on Instagram and told me that she had stabbed her hand with a knife and ended up passing out from the blood loss. And while she was passing out, time stopped and she experienced this entire unsettling conversation with the people who were in the room with her. She said that all of the people were laughing cynically at her bleeding wound while she was laying on the floor. And at the same time, she could somehow hear their thoughts and she could tell that they hated her. They thought she was weird. They didn't have her best interests at heart. When she came back into consciousness, she was in the exact same position that she fell and everyone was in the same position they had been standing during her episode, but she was surprised to find the same people asking if she was okay. She told me that she believes she hallucinated all of it, but she said it felt really real because she was in the same position on the ground and nothing appears to have changed. And I asked her just personally, like, why do you think this hallucination happened why do you why would you think that your friends were laughing cynically at you and thought that you were weird and like just hated you and she said she thought it was because maybe the moment before she passed out she felt like ashamed of her behavior that had led to the accident of her stabbing her hand and wondered if her friends would judge her for you know just being Mm. reckless so
1: I don't know I can sympathize with that. Yeah, Yeah. I
2: can sympathize with that, too. Sometimes I care way too much what people think, as we talked about in the beginning of this episode.
1: Yes, as we talked about in the Patreon version of this intro. Yes. These distressing NDE examples seem to hint
2: at a connection of the headspace that someone's in before their NDE as a sort of like coloring of the perception of the actual NDE. Right? Like when people are afraid or fearful or they're depressed before their injury, like someone would be if they were hemorrhaging during childbirth or they were panicked at being atop a horse that was out of control or even just like feeling the depression that leads up to the the event that causes you to want to end your life. All of their NDEs seem to reflect that same fear, panic, and isolation. But nonetheless, there's still examples of high strangeness during certain NDEs that seem, well, unexplainable. For example, this is the fucking craziest story I've ever heard, you guys, and I'm really fucked up from it. So I want you guys to, like, listen to this and, and just take it in. One NDE experiencer told me that after nine years of severe depression, they decided to take their own life. They took their father's shotgun, loaded it, and pulled the trigger. Quote, what happened next was kind of insane to experience, so here it goes. Time appeared to have frozen in place. I felt a pressure in my right shoulder, a hand maybe. And then I heard my own voice in my right ear whisper, quote, Not a dream. End quote. This all happened in a fraction of a second. It felt as though I snapped awake from a sleep when an empty click was heard. The gun had jammed. I had an immense freak out afterwards and got help. Thank God, I'm okay now. In a way, the quote my doppelganger had said, not a dream, propelled me to learn more on what that quote meant and its potential connection to the meaning of life. And as odd as it sounds, those words saved me. End quote. Holy fucking shit. Like, What are the odds of a gun jamming like that? First of all, I don't know anything about guns so maybe they're pretty frequent I don't know but it's just a haunted ass crazy story and I'm I don't I, I also am like whoa what if that's a time travel like what if that is this person did figure out how to use the liminal space or whatever like beat time gravity constraints you know what I mean and they like came to save their own yeah. life by whispering in their ear wow not a dream and then fucking jammed the gun I don't know
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I know my mind is like going a thousand miles a minute. Um, Well, first of all, I'm so happy that the gun did jam and that that person is doing much better now. Um, That sounds really fucking scary, but it sounds like a life-changing transformative experience. When I hear stuff like that, it reminds me of two things. One, it reminds me of the possibility of, of parallel universes and alternate timelines Mm -hmm. where perhaps in one timeline the person um did die and in another timeline the gun jammed and they lived um that's one of the things that makes me think of and then like you said um earlier about i think we were talking about like serious black and like going beyond the veil and whatever it reminds me of the Harry Potter book where Hermione Granger has the time turner yes. so that she can take extra classes mm-hmm. but then like when she turns it she has to be careful to like not run into her other right. self
2: because she'll like fuck up the yeah. story
1: The timeline. (laughs) Yeah. And then they do go through a whole shebang where they do fuck up the timeline. Um, But yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Like, is it a time travel situation, like you said, or is it an alternate timeline situation? Um, I don't know, like in Rick and Morty, where every time Rick fucks up the world, he and Morty have to like go find another timeline where they died so that they can take their place. Yeah, all my references are going to be pop culture and not scientific because that's where that's
2: what I consume. I had one more live interview, and this one would be the most illuminating and confusing of all. But I wanted to know more about the connection between NDEs, the afterlife, psychic abilities, and possibly time travel. I was able to speak with Dee, a licensed therapist who specializes in treating children who have experienced trauma in their lives.
5: So I was raised in a Christian household. So I was familiar with the Bible, angels, heaven, hell, God, in a pretty basic way. Mm -hmm. I never really developed a really intense or spiritual relationship with those kind of understandings. Until I was maybe about 12, I had a somewhat of a kind of a vision that kind of, I guess, opened me up a little bit for more curiosity Right. I had an experience with mushrooms when I was maybe 15.
2: He goes on to tell me that he was visited by an entity.
5: It was a fairy. I'm <laughs> secular, you know, raised, I guess, in the church, and I'm having this experience with this fairy. She's probably five feet tall. Her name was Zarzangzia, what? and she had me repeating her name over and over on my breath for about six hours. Were
2: you with other people during this? No,
5: I was alone. Because
2: okay. this would be terrifying to me if I was 15, high on mushrooms, and then like one of the group just start saying zarzangzia on repeat for 6 hours.
5: You know, every couple of years I go on the internet looking for zarzangzia like is you know what is this and nothing ever. Mm. So that experience came and went. I went through my adolescence and my teenage years. I went through a lot of really difficult times. You know, uh, a lot of different trauma Problems with drugs and alcohol, problems at home. That was really hard for me. But coming out of that, I ran into a man. And when I met this man, when I first saw him, I knew that he and I were going to be together. I don't really understand how to say it more than that but there was a a natural and intense draw towards this man and he was a therapist in a hospital I was in I had had a migraine for about a year and a half oh, wow. and I'd been in and out of the hospital and, and having a lot of problems with that and I was in a very kind of fragile state and I met this man and we were sitting together he said to me I'll never forget it he said you know Davis you have a light in you and when he said that everything in the room changed. The walls started to melt. I started to see sparkles or like tears of light in my vision. My peripheral vision opened up. Mm -hmm. I felt a sense of love, almost like I wanted to kiss him. I'm not gay, but there was just a real physical attraction, everything about it. It was so disorienting and bizarre to me. And after that, I almost immediately started meditating and praying constantly. There was some kind of internal recognition that this experience had some kind of religious association or kind of moral phenomena to it. Mm -hmm. I had an experience shortly after where the pain I had had from the migraine was located very differently in my consciousness. I never related to it the same way again. And shortly after the migraine healed. This experience opened me up over the next several years to dozens of really intense, phenomenally strange experiences that really started to challenge my worldview. Mm -hmm. I followed that guy and kind of poked at him because I knew this guy was different. And it turned out he is a practicing Sufi, which is kind of the esoteric dimension of Islam. Mm -hmm. I had never really been attracted to Islam Personally, I was pretty progressive and I felt like it was a kind of regressive system. Right, but, but nonetheless, I'm stumbled into this character and I'm having these experiences with when I'm with him where I feel alien. I'm with him and I see myself located above myself. Wow! I can see different rooms in the location I'm at while I'm communicating with him. There's a very potent feeling of being extremely foreign or even alien. After about a year of poking on him, he kind of brought me into what he had going on, which was a lifetime of meditation and spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. through are a very kind of small lineage of Malamati Sufis in Turkey, in Macedonia, in Iran, Syria, and Israel, actually. So we started working together, and these experiences kind of started Escalating. I know you and I had talked a little bit about aliens. Let me
2: just summarize this. So, you were going through a challenging period of life where perhaps had turned to several substances or just, you know, having a tough time and were experiencing like a lot of pain in the form of a migraine, which you were seeking medical attention for at a hospital for chronic pain. And at that hospital, there was a therapist who was working there. And the therapist had like a a sort of energy that you had never encountered before and said the words, you have a light in you. And from that moment on, There was a major progression in your understanding of the world around you and your ability to navigate the world around you. Now you sometimes were talking and were out of your body above, or you were able to remotely view things, but not really understanding what it meant, just knowing that it was somehow connected to this therapist character.
5: Yeah, so I appreciate you kind of summarizing that. And I'll say that in the beginning, the experiences were so unusual and phenomenal that I attached a lot of significance to the man himself. Mm. That fell off. So he and I are still in touch, but I definitely don't see him with the kind of grandiosity I think I Mm -hmm. held towards him in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm gentle with myself on it. Clearly, you're a young guy. You have these experiences with this person. And I guess the instinct is to kind of want to follow. Right. Which I think is normal in a lot of different paths, right? Mm -hmm. There's some mentor, but he's always prioritized being on equal footing. He doesn't want to take a kind of power position. So we start gathering weekly to do meditation with some peers and friends Mm -hmm. uh, with this man. And I'll share an experience There's two or three that really kind of touch on what I would consider, I guess, using the word alien. And I'll tell you, it's very vulnerable for me to share about this for a couple reasons. The sense after having had these experiences is that they are alive. The experience itself and the knowledge associated with it feels as if it's its own living entity. They have a distinctly foreign feeling
2: to me they're unlike anything else you've either experienced or like they're or like they're not your own memories.
5: There's a subtle sense I don't know how else to explain it, but they feel extraterrestrial. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but there's mm-hmm. a distinct, clear feeling this is extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting in the room meditating, which is something we'd always done, and suddenly. I hear a shrill ringing in my left ear and then, and I've gone deaf on my left side, Mm. completely and unable to hear, almost like I'm hearing a vacuum. As that occurs, my vision goes out and I am identified with the vision of my own imagination, but I didn't choose that. So my imagination starts running in such an intense way that it's kind of superseded my ordinary waking vision. So I'm come almost transported into a dream, but I'm fully mm. conscious. Okay, what I'm seeing is inside a conal structure that's coming out of the ear. That conal structure, where I imagine the lack of sound was, was holding this vision of me being in an apartment with a typewriter. And the floor is hardwood. It's a small apartment. I imagine it being on the West Coast, but I think that may be some kind of association or memory of my own. But it's definitely this apartment. It seems to be maybe 70 years ago. As that's occurring, I peer to my right, and my friend is also meditating. And in my mind's eye, I'm noticing these little red, looks like, some kind of script i've never seen but almost glowing in these little what i would call data packets streaming down from over his head and into his head i'm witnessing this and the thought is immediately those are data packets they implicate the genes and somehow they're gonna sit latent until they need to be used later.
2: Wow, like a like planting an egg or something.
5: Yeah, but mind you, like I'm not never been into sci-fi, I've never mm-hmm. researched aliens, I I'm not into the occult. I, I've always thought that stuff was kind of hairy fairy, right? Mm-hmm. Yet I'm having this experience that's definitely out there. It sounds psychotic. I'm a therapist, so, you know.
2: <laughs> when you say data packets were coming in, is that just your way of describing something that you don't know what else to call? Or was it like the matrix, like numbers?
5: Here's what's so interesting. All of the language to describe this phenomena that I was encountering and have since encountered came automatically. I knew to call it a data packet. Okay, okay. I don't know how else to say it was just, oh, that's an alien data packet. And the craziest thing was Dan, my other friend, reported the exact same phenomenon. So now we're having a mutual hallucination mm. or something really unusual is occurring. So that night I go home. My roommate had a book by Philip Dick, who's like a famous sci-fi writer. I'd never mm. read it. And he'd had it propping up our leaning television for like two years. I'd never thought to crack open this book. Right. Something drew me to that book. I go and pull it out from under the thing. I open it up. And the first words on the page that I open is alien data packets. I'm (laughs) shocked.
2: That's so weird. Because that doesn't seem like a very common thread of words.
5: Totally strange. So long story short, my friend gets invited to meet with a gentleman who apparently has some kind of superpowers or psychic powers. And I'm thinking, all right, this is just Totally weird, but (laughs) definitely worth checking out just for the love of the strange, right? right? So my friend goes first to vet the guy and what the guy told him was phenomenal. First of all, the guy knew about me. He reported dreams that I had shared only with my friend. He reported on a dream that another friend of ours had had and he reported on some experience from my friend's childhood.
2: Okay, so your friend goes to vet the guy before you're gonna meet up with this so-called superpower dude and the guy out of nowhere just divulges information about dreams you have had even though you're not at the meeting he's just like hey you have a friend he's had these dreams i don't know why but i'm telling you that's right and then your friend told you and you were like holy shit!"
5: well here's what was really strange so he comes over to my house immediately after meeting this guy. He says, man, you're not going to believe this shit. I said, all right, come on over. As soon as he walks in the door, my experience of myself goes from a very kind of stable and sober frame of mind to feeling extraordinarily intoxicated. Wow! And I'm high. And it also felt extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. So whatever the experiential state mm-hmm. that my friend came in with felt alien. We decide now we're being trained in essentially traditional Sufism. So we step into the bedroom and we make salat. So we're praying, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Muslim, right? Leaning and bowing. As I'm prostrating again with the imagined material on my kind of mind's eye, I'm seeing Little, almost like little s- star falls into the carpet, and they're spawning what looks like little microorganisms. Oh my god! Now this is all witnessed internally. I'm not actually seeing them, mm. but what's important to remember is I didn't cook this up. It's almost like something took a hold of my imagination. Mm-hmm. It was creating this content that was just totally bizarre, like a vision. Yeah. So. Long story short, we decide to go meet with the gentleman Mm -hmm. and
2: the superpower guy.
5: Yeah. Now we meet together and I'm in a defensive posture because of my lack of trust for this kind of stuff. And maybe it'll influence me or who knows. There's a prejudice I'm carrying. Mm -hmm. He notices that right away and he proceeds to almost kind of like name our archetypes. And he's saying, "Oh, you're the gatekeeper." What? Which is true. I had actually organized this group of guys over the years and kind of been a gatekeeper to connecting these people. I right? okay. lucky guess, right? So we start talking. He starts telling me about my grandfather. He starts telling me that in a previous life, I had killed with the other men many witches. He talks about having a kind of civil war history in me. He talked about issues that I had had with my tonsils. He talked about a whole wide array of different experiences from my life, past, present, future. The sense, though, was that there was nothing I could do about it. And in some way, it did not matter whether i knew the information or not it was as if the information could not change the course of events in spite of knowing
2: it. okay i have to mentally untangle that
5: it was odd but okay. again the feeling of being very high comes up and he's actually naming that so he's saying you guys are going to be vibrating really fast really hot if this continues over the next days call me and i can help turn it down As we're sitting with him, again, in my imagination, but this time it's superimposed on what I'm actually witnessing. So the imagination and the actual witnessing reality are kind of merging into a gestalt. Because I'm interested in the mechanics of this. How is this guy doing this, right? Right. He would contort and twist. It it was like it would strike him. And he would say, Mm -hmm. they're saying, and then he would report, whatever he had to say. He said that entities were communicating with him through essentially witnessing an image. And then Mm. he would interpret that image and relay it. His interpretation was full of his own kind of egoic assumptions. But I Mm. could tell... So it was almost like he was having to filter it through himself. Does that make sense?
2: Right. Like he's just a conduit for this. Yeah.
5: And very much limited in that role. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't some kind of supreme, you know, enlightened being, ordinary guy in some respects, in the sense that he still had limitations, just like any of us. Right. So we finished this experience. I get into the car and I immediately lay down in the back seat and start giggling like a child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just totally weird to myself. Several months later, or several weeks, I'm not even sure at this point, I had a dream in which I was walking up a mountain on a cliffside. And there were cells. And inside the cells were friends and peers from my life. Mm. And I'm walking up and I get to the top and my father's there. And he's holding a box full of like trinkets and amulets and special objects. And I turned him away and I said, I don't need this. And I turned and I jumped and I jumped off the cliff. And as I'm falling, I'm transported to the bottom. Now I'm still falling in the dream. So this actually kind of collapses on itself and becomes nonsensical. But stay with me. Right. To the bottom, and I see my mother. And I'd have con I'd had conflicts with my mother my entire life. And as I'm sitting at my mother's feet and she's looking at me, I am transported into her experience of motherhood. And I encountered every quality of motherhood from mm. the mother's perspective towards me in a slideshow like a reel. And it was wow. so powerful and intense that I wept on her feet and mm-hmm. started cleaning her feet with my tears. Mm. That finishes, I'm back falling again off this okay. clip. And then I hear, I hear a rainbow of sounds, almost like a tonal, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, but it's mm-hmm. taking color with it. Mm. I wake up, it's four in the morning, and it sounds like a train is in my bedroom. Wow. I feel out of the crown of my head what feels like slugs crawling in and out. <sighs> Immediately, I'm in terror, mm. and I start reciting the first surah of the Quran. So I'm speaking Arabic in a half-day's state, in terror. As I'm speaking, the same alien writing letters, the data packets, Right streaming into my forehead so <laughs> i'm sitting here having this experience i get up to go to the bathroom immediately after i'm sweaty i'm uh, uh, just totally bewildered mm-hmm. and i think to myself i need to write this down immediately a thought comes loud wow, you will write this down wow. so it- In April of, you know, I guess it would have been like 2012 or 13, I wrote this experience down. Since then, there's been dozens of other small and strange experience with unidentified flying objects, angels, ghosts, visions, knowing things. Yeah, it just opened up a whole world of possibilities.
2: I'm super interested in the mechanics of this as well. I have two questions. So this is a two-pronged question. How did you go from just a normal 15-year-old kid who's taking some mushrooms or whatever to all of a sudden someone who's having all of these different experiences? Do you think it was like the meditation that opened you up? And then my second question is the guy that had the superpowers, how how did he get those? Like, where are you guys getting this from? Yeah, so... Is it something that can be accessed by everyone else?
5: Well, yeah, this is a question that's really baffled. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I asked myself this question, like, why am I even doing this interview? What utility <laughs> does it serve anybody? Mm-hmm. My sense is, and I want to answer your questions, but it's, I'm going to be a roundabout way. The experience of encountering this information,
2: mm-hmm.
5: whether hearing it or actually being in the experience itself, does something to a person it provokes a certain level of uncertainty and necessitates a real sense of flexibility. Because if what I'm saying is true, that's nuts. And so if we hear that, okay, what do I do with that? That experience itself of that kind of raw uncertainty and flexibility, I think might be the purpose of the information itself more than the actual content.
3: Mm. That being
5: said though, I don't know why or how this came to be in me. I think in the beginning, there was some spiritual kind of grandiosity and narcissism. I had never really been made much of my life. I was a real mess. And so now I'm having these phenomenal experiences that I thought qualified me as unique and special. I guess I can understand that even still to a degree, but it doesn't feel like that anymore.
2: Wow, that's so self-aware. That's... (laughs) Rarely do we hear people speak about their own experiences in terms of that, but I, I I, applaud you for being able to see things from both perspectives. Well,
5: I was an insecure kid, you know, and I needed something to feel special, right?
2: But how did this guy know about your grandfather and know about dreams you had had specifically? And-
5: well, apparently the story that I heard was that he apparently drowned when he was a teenager in Barbados mm-hmm. and was in a coma for a lengthy period of time? And when he came out, he claims that he could read what he called the Akashic record. Okay. Or the karmic cause and effect history of water molecules. Wow. And so everything he did with us involved water. So he would have us wash our hands first. He seemed to indicate that his abilities were changing. He said that he used to have to have water as the medium through which he would touch a person's hand. So hands in a bowl. When he was with us, he just had our wash our hands first.
2: Mm.
5: So something to do with his trauma, something to do with water. I have spent my kind of clinical work with clients with questions in the background of my head, like, hey, is this kid? have the capacity to go into some of this stuff that I've been exposed to, right? Right. I've actually begun to see it more as a liability. I think the ego really has to be cared for and groomed carefully in order for it to sustain those kind of violations to its most basic assumptions about reality.
2: Right. Otherwise, you might just completely lose touch with any sort of grounding?
5: Those experiences that I shared violate my sense of agency Mm -hmm. tremendously. They violate a sense of free will. They violate a sense of time. They violate a sense of space. They violate what we would assume are basic natural laws. Mm -hmm. So if those are true, then it would require my existing structure of belief in terms of how I operate and being to get flexible. Right. So now I move with a big question mark.
2: Well, what ended up happening to this Aquaman guy?
5: We went to meet him one more time in a hotel. And it was fascinating because it was like a sleazy motel.
2: Did you have to pay for these experiences or he just genuinely just threw whatever network of Sufism? No, this,
5: this guy was completely separate from Sufism. Really? Sufism really kind of discourages most Mature Sufism discourages a pursuit of spiritual states and phenomena. It okay. really is more interested in character, mm-hmm. character refinement, choice, and etiquette. This was even outside of that. So we go meet with him at his <laughs> hotel, and it's just me and my friend. And again, we have the same phenomenal experience, except this time I decide that I'm going to see if he can receive telepathic thoughts And so just intuitively, I start speaking into his head and he turns to me and he says, you don't have to do that.
2: Wow. (laughs) Right. That makes me really want to try that just to like see if people are psychic to just try to send them a thought and see if they respond. That's crazy. I've never thought to do that.
5: I didn't think to do that. It naturally arose in me. All, and, and, and that's something that's important to kind of reflect is all the way that I responded to these experiences, the way that I entertain the information, the way that I'm telling it to you now feels as if it's not of me. Mm-hmm. Like when you asked me to share with you these stories, the feeling was almost as if I needed to ask the thing itself permission or that it was guarded or that... It's not mine to own.
2: And do you get the feeling or the sense that it's okay to share it? Or
5: I think people could manipulate it to multiply their own ignorance, but I don't think that they could manipulate it in a way that would affect the information itself in its truth or whatever is creating this. So people mm-hmm. only stand to become more confused by it or it almost kind of lands in them and takes a life of its own. But I don't think that the way our ego or our mental state is structured at present knows what to do with it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't know. There's a lot of facets of this conversation that are really intriguing and are definitely going to be the catalyst for myself to go look into some more, I don't know, anecdotes for the story, because I really started the story interested in the near death experience phenomena where people will have otherworldly experiences due to like blunt force trauma or losing a lot of blood, things like that. And there's like a scientific explanation for it. But scientists are also like baffled by it. I think
5: you're on something right there. And it connects with what we talked about with both me and that man, trauma. Trauma is an experience of death to the mental kind of self-gestalt. It violates the ego in such an intense way that it cracks. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a near-death experience where the physical body is approaching death, Or there's an experience where someone is really severely stricken with disease, or they're robbed, or they're raped, or they're beaten. Sometimes it will crack a person in such a way that more of reality, more of being almost seeds in them and takes life. I suspect that that kind of undifferentiated intense exposure to being may qualify some of these phenomenal experiences because the ego is cracked in such a way that it's not holding such a rigid filter
2: wow i love that i feel like you just gave me the thesis for my episode there Thank you. Thank you very much, D. You guys, so if you want to get into contact with D, if you have any information that you perhaps would like to share with them, you can write into the podcast and we can perhaps vet some of these and see if D wants to share or exchange.
5: I really, no, I really appreciate you providing me a forum. This is something that's really special for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. It stands kind of in contrast with the rest of my life. It's very odd for me, and I've never been able to share it in this way. So it's something that's really affected me and changed the way I see life, but there aren't really many opportunities for me to speak on it in a way that people would be anything more than kind of write it off. Mm -hmm. This has been healing for me. I appreciate
1: it. Wow. uh, This might be... If not thee, then one of the best interviews we've ever had on the show because that is fucking crazy. Like, I can't even imagine i don't know like it's so wild that you immediately just start thinking like what could it be what could it possibly be what logical explanation is it and then i have to remind myself like it's okay if there's not a logical explanation like that's what the purpose of this podcast is but i think i think that skepticism is a response to fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. and so if anyone else listened to that interview and was immediately trying to find like chinks in the armor or like uh, logical explanations, I think that that's why. I think it's because death and the unknown are very, very scary. And the idea that there are some things that we just don't understand... Can like induce an existential panic, Mm -hmm. but I think you know, I'm just gonna let that information wash over me and just accept it as fact and try not to worry about it too much (laughs) because that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Can't not worry
2: about it, like, we have to find out who the fuck that aqua. man who can communicate with aliens is do not let that man get away Uh, like look i'm all for like human rights and like take care of everyone this fucking guy (laughs) capture him do not let him like transcend into a different dimension like we gotta fucking
1: figure his shit out like probe him do whatever it takes i can't i can't you know what's interesting is that so you're talking about sufism and Somebody that we're going to have on in a future episode that I'm trying to get an interview with right now is studying Sufism along with other uh, mystical paranormal aspects of religion. But one of his specialties is in mysticism and Islam, including Sufism. I'm just thinking if I get this interview with this person and then when I listen back to this episode, there might be some connections. Maybe this guy studying Sufism has heard of this person right. that your your friend is talking about.
2: I don't know. Yeah, we got to fucking find out, you guys. But that's funny that you say like w- people trying to find chinks in the armor and like what does it mean and stuff. Because D, the person who gave me the interview... He doesn't get what it means. And I mean, he's as rational as he can be about it. He's like, look, I don't even know if like these visions or these things are are real or if it's just like a narcissistic part of my personality where like I just want to feel special. So I'm just like hallucinating this stuff in like an attempt to feel something you know and he's like I don't know what the answer is I don't know what the visions mean but I think that they're just designed to make me realize that I don't have all of the answers and like break my ego down in that way a little bit and to tell myself that like hey you don't know every single thing that's happening and like you can't figure this out so I don't know
1: yeah, I think sometimes you just have to accept that you we don't understand everything and hopefully that eases some of the existential questions. So
2: now we're going to dive into the theories quickly of why these NDEs happen because everyone has an explanation and I'm about to fucking shoot all of them down. So number one is disturbed bodily multisensory integration. This is basically a fancy way of saying that near-death experiences are just people having dreams or hallucinations that are coming from a brain that's dying. Talking of the phenomenon known as near-death experience in the video description, NDE Diary wrote, quote, Some people dismiss near-death experiences as dreams or hallucinations of a dying brain. People generally do not have the same kinds of hallucinations. In contrast, the descriptions of near-death experiences are remarkably consistent across culture and time. Meanwhile, neuroscientific research suggests that an NDE is a phenomenon resulting from disturbed bodily multisensory integration that occurs during a life-threatening event, like blood loss or oxygen loss, shuts down portions of the brain. And when the person is brought back, so to speak, their brain just creates a narrative of what happens as a way to explain the loss of time or them not feeling like They were in control of their body. But then I ask you, how the fuck did they travel through a wall and see what the fuck their people were wearing in other rooms? How did the brain do that?
1: These are the questions. I know. I know. Because as you were talking, I'm like, okay, well, so this person knew that someone took out their dentures. Well, maybe you could say um, on, you know, even though they were gone, like not forming new memories necessarily like they were still there in in some or way in a coma and maybe what they was heard. happening yeah yeah right and it somehow entered their subconscious and they could hear that oh i'm gonna put this guy's dentures over here right right maybe you could make that argument but then when you're talking about like the person who was blind that had the nde and could see the red pin on the windowsill like it's it's would be pretty weird if a person was like i am going to put my red pin on this windowsill now you know what right. i mean so That, like, I don't think someone would do that. So I don't think that that could be an earworm that entered this person's mind during their NDE. Or, um, oh, I know this person was wearing mismatched plaid and sitting in the waiting room. If that person never entered their hospital room, then how would they know that, you know, unless somebody came in and was like talking shit about their mismatched plaid, which I don't think would be very likely because you probably have bigger fish to fry if your loved one is like in a coma. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, some of these things just have no explanation or maybe they do. I don't know. But it just really reminds me so much of astral projection. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like there's a connection here and I'm just not smart enough to make it.
2: I I agree. And we're going to get to that. So the second theory is imagination. Some hater people believe that NDEs are just embellished retelling of traumatic events, a.k.a. imagination. But in 2017, two researchers at the University of Virginia wondered whether veridical NDEs were just imagination. So they gave a questionnaire to 122 people who had reported having an NDE. The questionnaire asked all of the participants to compare memories of their experiences with real and imagined events from the same time. And all of the NDEs were recalled with greater vividness and detail than both the real and the imagined situations, which suggests that NDEs are remembered as being realer than real. And so even though that study didn't prove that NDEs are not the imagination, it did mark the vividness and the significance that an NDE has to the experiencer which brings us to our next theory so you might say oh okay yeah obviously people are going to assign a bunch of significance to almost fucking dying that's fucking scary um perhaps it's religious interference theory number three religious interference Some people believe that NDEs are the result of a combination of fear and religious exposure, as there are a lot of parallels to religious interpretations of the afterlife and NDE experiences. However, I would like to say that NDEs are not more likely to occur in believers than non-believers. Some NDEs described by experiencers lack religious iconography or narrative altogether, but they still share Similar characteristics that all NDEs have. For example, in 1791, there was this British Admiral, Sir Francis Beaufort, and he nearly drowned. And when he recalls the incident, he said, quote, a calm feeling of the most perfect tranquility succeeded the most tumultuous sensation, nor was I in any bodily pain. (laughs) On the contrary, my sensations were now of a rather pleasurable cast. Though the senses were thus deadened, not so the mind. Its activity seemed to be invigorated in a ratio which defies all description, for thought rose after thought with a rapidity of succession that is not only indescribable, but probably inconceivable by anyone who has been him himself in a similar situation. The course of these thoughts I can even now in great measure retrace the events that had just taken place. Thus, traveling backwards, every incident of my past life seemed to me to glance across my recollection in retrograde procession The whole period of my existence seemed to be placed before
1: me in a kind of panoramic view, end quote. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, my God. You know, I have heard that drowning is one of the more pleasant ways to die. Um, I obviously I have heard it's like very terrifying as it's happening to you. But once the body like is out of oxygen and the lungs are full of water, I have heard from uh, like different TV shows that have talked about drowning, that actually like a, a sensation of warmth comes across yeah. the body. You feel like you're bathed in light mm-hmm. and it's really pleasant. And then you just drift off to sleep. Now, is that true or not? I don't know because I will not be the guinea pig who drowns myself um, to to figure it out. But I have heard that before. Um, but... Back to your theory number three of whether this is religious interference or not. I don't think so, because maybe your experience would be different based on like how you're relating things. Right. right? I think we talked about this once where like you see a lizard and you're like, oh, like there's no name for that lizard. So you're like, oh, it's like a snake, but with legs. But then someone from a different part of the country who does see snakes might look at that. Uh, or whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? For one of us, we might be like, "Oh, this cryptid looks like a kangaroo," and then for someone who's never seen a kangaroo, they're going to be like, "Oh, that looks like a dog." But right, and it.
2: your NDE is going to be described in the a way that reflects your cultural yeah like, upbringing. Thank you. Which is exactly yes. my next point. In short, NDEs will take the shape of whatever the experiencers' cultural memories and experiences are comprised of, but that doesn't explain why NDEs happen, as they happen to people who aren't religious at all, and they're described in a way that reflects that non-religious upbringing. In 1900, Scottish surgeon Sir Alexander Ogston discovered staff, by the way, but he got this really bad case of typhoid fever, and he nearly died, and he recalled, quote, I lay as it seemed in a constant." Stupor which excluded the existence of any hopes or fears. Mind and body seemed to be dual and to some extent separate. I was conscious of the body as an inert, tumbled mass near a door. It belonged to me, but it was not I. I was conscious that my mental self used regularly to leave the body. I was then drawn rapidly back to it, joined with it in disgust. I was fed and spoken to and cared for. And though I knew that death was hovering about, having no thought of religion nor dread in the end, and roamed on beneath the murky skies, apathetic and contented, until something again disturbed the body where it lay, when I was drawn back to it afresh. So this fucking haunted guy is basically saying, I was totally aware that I was dying and I was just kind of like hovering above my body while it was being like dying and then every once in a while someone would like would come, you know, wipe my fucking shit off my ass and I would be like, "Ew, why haven't I died?" and like, "Why do I have to return to this humiliating situation?" And like this oh my is God. terrible. So relatable. The next theory is that it's a psychoactive substance. So to me, this is the theory that I feel like holds the most water. According to this theory, DMT washes over the brain and takes the experiencer on a natural psychedelic trip, which is influenced by their mood. The evidence to support this theory is the extensive research that's been done on psychedelics that are consumed during religious, spiritual, or recreational practice. Substances from the class of hallucinogens that link to the neurotransmitter Transmitter serotonin, including psilocybin, a.k.a. magic mushrooms, LSD, DMT, a.k.a. the spirit molecule, and 5-MeO-DMT, a.k.a. the god molecule— often result in users having very similar experiences to NDEs. So what we know from fucking science is that there are trace amounts of DMT that have been found in the human brain tissue. And there are even more amounts of DMT that have been found in cerebral spinal fluid, which is this clear fluid that surrounds the brain and the spinal cord. DMT is also said to be responsible for having vivid dreams and some people hypothesize that DMT washes over the brain at death as a result of trauma, which causes the experiencer to have the NDE. The University of Michigan measured brain levels of DMT as rats suffered cardiac arrest. Holy shit. Anyways, researchers recorded a spike in DMT up to 10 times above the baseline levels, which would be enough to trigger psychedelic effects as we know them but rats aren't people but Scientists say that if a similar thing happened to humans, that could cause the NDE. But they're also like, we don't fucking know because it's a rat. And so they're like, maybe a human would need a larger DMT dose to trigger the NDE in a, like an alert, healthy adult. We fucking don't know because we can't like kill people and measure it to do our weird fucking science experiments. So according to this lead scientist, Jimo Biorigian, quote, During near-death states, the brain activity that supports non-essential activities like walking is severely reduced. And so far, scientists have studied experiences when people are fully awake, but they have other brain activity that's going on. So in order to have a psychedelic experience, you need really high levels of DMT that rise above all of the other noise that's going on in an active brain. But at the near-death state... Perhaps the level of DMT needed to contribute to an NDE wouldn't need to be very much because your brain's already fucking dead. So you're gonna like experience a little tiny amount of serotonin as you met Jesus. I don't fucking know because I don't have the answers. Or maybe I do. That was just a sexy lead in to this next paragraph. So that theory to me seems to fit the bill, right? Like it makes a lot of sense. I have tried dmt and that is a story for another time but i will agree (laughs) that there is some fucking weird ass shit that happens when you do it i've also given birth without pain medication and i've had nte similar thing happen to me and they say that when you give birth or when you have like extreme trauma to your body that you have this sort of feeling or whatever Um, i'm also really into meditation so Uh, There's this like meditation that I do where we're trying to release DMT into our brain. I don't know if it's all a fucking weird hoax and I'm just like doing this stupid breathing on the ground and holding my breath and all of this stuff in search of like some high that is just made up in my mind. I don't know, but apparently... I'm doing it because there's DMT I'm trying to release. I don't know. My fiance is a fucking weirdo and I'm just trying to appease him. <laughs> so this theory makes a lot of sense, right? So so mystery solved, right? Well, no, because even if DMT is likely responsible for the NDE core characteristics, again, how the fuck do we explain psychic abilities and the ability for the experiencers to recall information they wouldn't have been able to know with their five senses? Like, What about a guy who fucking drowned and then comes back as a fish man? How do you explain that? You can't. You
1: You simply can't.
2: The last of these is very similar to what you were saying. And it's the last theory is called ego's last gift. This theory is essentially that our ego, which is aware that the body is dying, gives us a private version of hell or heaven before death. In an article that was originally published with the title, quote, Tales of the Dying Brain, end quote, in the Scientific American, quote, neurosurgeons are able to induce such ecstatic feelings by electrically stimulating part of the cortex called the insula in epileptic patients who will have electrodes implanted into their brain. Patients who undergo this procedure report bliss, enhanced well-being, heightened self-awareness, or perception of an external world. And we also know that exciting the gray matter elsewhere in the brain can also trigger out-of-body experiences or visual hallucinations. So this Scientific American article posited that perhaps this brute link between abnormal activity patterns, whether induced by spontaneous disease process or controlled by a surgeon's electrode, provides support that this is a biological and not spiritual phenomena. The article continues. It is intriguing, though, that the outer limit of the spectrum of human experience encompasses other occasions in which reduced oxygen. Whatever. I'm just going to say this. Well, they also said the same shit as you. They're like, hey, uh, people who are like drown or they asphyxiate themselves and jack off. They also report being lightheaded (laughs) and uh, like excited and having these like feelings of flying and leaving their body or like people who do the choking game and the fainting game game or there's some people who go deep water diving we've talked about that like in the black carpet nitrogen
1: narcosis. yes exactly like
2: those people will have weird experiences that are similar to ndes and that they are having strange psychedelic situations happening or have access to information that they don't seem like they would have access to while they're fucking diving in the ocean dying i don't know but so this they, they say like, oh, well, perhaps uh, this article continues and says like, well, these ecstatic experiences are common to many forms of death. As long as the mind remains lucid and is not dulled by opiates or other drugs given to alleviate pain, the mind chained to the dying body visits its own private version of heaven or hell. So they, they're like, oh, yeah, OK, like, well, it's probably the same thing that happens when you choke yourself to jack off. But I'm like, Why? That doesn't answer the question of why. Why, when you choke yourself to jack off, would Mother Nature or God or whatever the fuck it is make that a pleasurable sensation? Why not like, oh, it's a pleasurable sensation when I fucking get to work on time. I have a spiritual (laughs) awakening when I don't tell my girlfriend she can't go to a concert. Why does it have to be dying? And that is why I fucking hate this world. I don't know what to do with this information. Please decipher it for me.
1: Okay, so I have no answers. I have no theory that I like best. However, what I was thinking when you were talking about how scientists do not have the ability to study dying humans or to study dying humans in the way that they study dying rats, I was wondering if you know how there are states that now have right to die have the same laws um, or death with dignity laws, which I agree with. And I think everyone should, has the right to die with dignity. Right. Um, I wonder if there would be a way for people to sign off saying, um, I want to die and I want you know to have anesthesia or whatever. What is, it? what is it called? It's like basically the way that you put an animal down. right? Like you get...
2: Put into an unconscious state, and then they stop your heart.
1: Right. And I wonder if there would be a way to combine those studies so that those scientists could also somehow study what chemicals are being released. I don't know if I was just misunderstanding what you were saying, but I wonder if there's a way to combine those two things, because I bet you there would be a lot of people that would be interested in donating their body to science in that way. I I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought that I had. And if anyone is offended by that, You're um, wrong. I will say you can shut the fuck up because last year I donated my body to science while alive and entered a clinical trial. And that is exactly what we're talking about right. because the first stage of clinical trials is unfortunately animal testing, but there's really no solution to that um, because you cannot test on humans unless it is safe in animals. So I wonder if there would be a way to combine these things. And that's all that I am saying. I do think there would be people out there that would that would volunteer. I
2: don't fucking know the answers to this. Like,
1: why? This is like, why the fuck is there a God that's mean? You know? <laughs> how do we answer this? How do we answer this? How do we answer anything? This has really brought forth a lot of, I keep saying existential angst, but I can't think of a better way to describe it. It's really brought up a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncomfortable feelings. And I think that that's good because I think... Perhaps exposure therapy will work this right. time on me. I know it didn't work for my fear of heights, but maybe it will work for my fear of death. And maybe slowly over time, learning more and more about the different scientific and paranormal um explanations or events associated with death will actually lead me to be more comfortable with it. I know that we have some haunties out there that work in morgues, that work in um, like the death industry, like funeral homes, funeral directors. I know some of you have DM'd us before over the years as we've touched on some of these topics. And What strikes me about the messages we've gotten from those haunties is that they say, yeah, we really need to destigmatize death and destigmatize conversations around death because it's just a natural part of being a human Mm -hmm. and that it's really not weird and it shouldn't be weird. Now, my reaction to hearing about a fish man that (laughs) um, knows everything about everything is like simultaneously... um, Super scary and super fascinating, but the fear really outweighs the fascination for me sometimes, and I wish it weren't that way. So I really congratulate and thank you for bringing this topic up. I thought it was very beautifully told, a very beautifully woven um, narrative Mm. laced with the scariest and most interesting interviews that I have heard to date. And it really leaves a lot to think about. And I would love to hear what the haunties think. You can go to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram to comment on the photo dump for this episode or go to r slash Let's Get Haunted to comment on the discussion thread for this episode. I want to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just
2: like Marcus Aurelius was saying in the quote that I said at the beginning of this episode, which is like, our job as basically being intellectual creatures who have evolved to the state that we are at and are able to process information in a way that other animals can't maybe it is our job not instead to try to figure out what happens after death and like how we cannot be afraid of it and like how to beat it and like duh, duh, and like figure all this shit out instead it's just for us to intellectualize and be like hey we're we're just animals It's unfortunate that we understand our mortality. That really fucking sucks. And I don't understand why God did that to us. But at the same time, I don't need to understand because I'm just a fucking stupid ass animal that just fucks and sleeps and eats to survive. And I'm no different than the rats that are getting heart attacks the only difference is that i have a paranormal podcast where i can talk about it and the rats <laughs> don't have one that i know of perhaps i'm just unable to perceive their podcast communication sources and maybe yeah. the heart attacks are the way that they communicate and perhaps they're consented to the whole thing and they actually organize the study perhaps Millions of years ago, we were all just rats and they <laughs> dreamt us up to have this conversation in a way to immortalize their secret society of uh, rat culture that they were unable to communicate as rats. Did that make any sense?
1: Yes. Who is to say? Who is to say what came first, the sentience or the heart attack? What talking. came first, the rat or the DMT, we don't know. Have we all just been here for millennia as floating wandering spirits and it was only through evolution that this spirit chose a host? I don't know. And I can never know and I will be spiraling <laughs> shortly as I think of it. Yeah, or worse, like if you
2: imagine you like literally just wanted to die and it'd be over and then it won't, like you just have to keep going and going and going and it never ends. Oh. Um, but you know what, that's, I feel like that's uh, good for your character. So the thread, somewhere between all of these first person accounts and interviews and sources, I came across so many different theories We started with near-death experiences, and we learned about people who had superpowers. I'm just left with more questions. Is it aliens? Is it time travel? Is it the veil getting thinner? Is it trauma? Is it multiverse? Is it a superpower? If you guys have any idea how to explain these things and tie them all together, let us know. Because we certainly do not know. Would you
1: like to do our (laughs) sign-off? Yes, I would. Um, Great episode, Natalia. Thank you so much for this thought-provoking topic. BRB, gotta go try DMT. Oh, wow. I'm happy for you. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye.